Hello and welcome to Halftime Scholars, the podcast series that features the interesting work of independent and emerging researchers. On this episode, our guest is Caroline Wade, a PhD candidate at Griffith University, where we discuss the pressures school leaders face amidst growing scrutiny and a culture of consumerism. We'll also uncover how parental expectations impact these educators and their strategies for engagement. Caroline also shares how insights from these school leaders themselves highlight the real-world effects of this dynamic. Finally, we discuss potential shifts in leader development and parent engagement to address these challenges. Caroline, welcome to Halftime Scholars. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's such a delight to be here and to have this conversation with you. Thanks again. You can take us through your research journey before your PhD work. Yeah, I'd love to. I I want to go way back and share that before I even considered pursuing education, because that is my career, I was really quite passionate about the creative and performing arts. My first degree, I guess my first love, was discovered in the creative and performing arts at QUT, where I completed my first degree at the creative industries, majoring in theatre. From there, I applied that love of creativity and pursued postgraduate primary education. And I worked in primary education for seven years before being appointed a school leadership role. And before we go any further, it's probably really important for me to clarify that when I say school leader, I'm referring to a principal or assistant principal or a deputy principal. So I was a school leader for 12 years, which if you're good at maths, you can probably work out that I've been working in primary education coming up to 12, uh, 20 years before pursuing my PhD. While I was a school leader, I also became a parent to two wonderful daughters and I began to navigate the experience of parent engagement from both sides as a parent myself and also as a school leader. Those experiences on the front line of education sparked my interest in wanting to know more, in wanting to understand the pressures facing other school leaders, because I saw firsthand how policies emphasising parent engagement didn't always align with the complex realities that school leaders and or parents face. And that was my lived experience that really motivated me to return to university and formally research these dynamics. I wasn't actually successful in applying for a PhD initially. So Griffith University recommended that I complete a Master's of Educational Research in Professional Studies. And I completed that last year. And I have to say, it was the best learning I have ever engaged in. It was the learning I didn't know I needed because it equipped me with the skills and knowledge and understanding in order to complete my PhD so successfully at this stage. But it also gave me an opportunity to conduct a small-scale research investigation last year, and I used that opportunity to understand the lived experience of school leaders in a culture of heightened consumerism. Now, the results from that were really quite confronting And that kind of demanded me to pursue further research in the field. And I was successful in applying for my PhD and I've commenced this year. And I'm also completing that at Griffith University. That love of creativity, that becoming a school leader, becoming a parent, and then my firsthand experiences have all kind of arrived at the same place. 
and are all currently, in some ways, contributing factors to my current study. That's a really interesting journey. And I guess, as you say, it has come together and you are pursuing your PhD, which we'll talk about in depth in a moment. But if you can take us back a little bit to your master's research and talk to us a little bit about more on the topic itself and some of the methodology and some of the broad findings that came through that project. Yeah, and I have to say that was really what has ignited my PhD. So for context, the master's research was conducted in a small town in New South Wales. The location was quite significant because it connected the concepts of neoliberalism, extreme wealth and heightened consumerism with the parent stakeholders in the educational context of the school leaders. This phenomenological study, so there's that methodology, the phenomenological study of two school leaders in an area of extreme wealth and heightened consumerism resulted in school leaders being significantly negatively impacted by parent engagement. A little snippet of the findings is that school leaders provided detailed descriptions of high impact responses. When I say high impact, that's referring to significant effects like high anxiety, high levels of distress, pressure, crying and sleeplessness. They were quite specific around the areas of behaviour management, accessibility, but also with some really strong themes of entitlement and a heightened sense of accountability in this specific educational context. It was quite confronting, to be honest with you, in that one of the school leaders provided quite detailed descriptions of parent engagement as very draining, very stressful, very damaging and hurtful. And one of the participants described crying more in six months than in 14 years of leadership. Both studies, uh, both leaders in the study described disrespectful parents unwilling to listen or to empathise, even though these school leaders followed their school and system engagement policies and school policies. The parents responded with aggression and trying to control situations. One leader described being threatened with derogatory language or being threatened with lawsuits, which, as you can imagine, caused severe stress and anxiety. It was actually a really interesting experience because although the research and policy promote parent school engagement, Findings from my master's suggested that parent entitlement and a lack of accountability amidst a heightened culture of consumerism resulted in parent engagement in increased conflict without the positive outcomes. The study illustrated how marketization can foster entitled and consumer mentalities that significantly impact school leaders, despite all of the research suggesting and advocating for parent engagement. That was really powerful, small-scale phenomenological research with two school leaders in school of a heightened or extreme culture of heightened consumerism. That sounds very interesting. Does that mean we have to send the parents back to school? I mean, that's really interesting. It shows that all those things coming together, I guess, accountability, entitlement, the consumerism, nature. Would you believe, or maybe in the literature that you've studied, would it be the same or different? Or what scenario would exist in non-elite school or mm, non-elite yeah. neighborhood? Is that something that you have seen in the literature? Well, I love that you asked because currently there's very few studies uh, seeking to understand school leaders experiences, so their perspectives of engaging parents across diverse areas. 
But what the research and literature does tell us, and, and quite overwhelmingly so, so for the last 30 years, the research and literature have informed us that strong parent engagement is equated with a range of positive outcomes for students, for parents, teachers, schools, and even communities. These include, oh gosh, there's so many, but they include improved student motivation, improved engagement, sense of well-being, belonging, improved parent-teacher relationships, improved school climates. Because of this overwhelming research and from the growing recognition of these benefits, this has led to an increase in the development and implementation of parent engagement policies, typically in Western countries, but certainly in Australia. So although these policies aim to promote and support meaningful engagement with parents and schools, because the research is so overwhelmingly positive, we at no point in time have actually stopped to seek to understand how this is influencing or impacting the school leaders who find themselves at the forefront of implementing these parent engagement policies within an already very stressful role. Quite an interesting take on the context. I had just one other follow-up question. So when we talk about parent engagement, it is encouraged, as you say, it is associated with positive outcomes for the student and the school and the parents themselves. But in terms of this engagement itself, I believe it'll range for different types of situations. Did any of the findings or research show that, or in the broader literature, that different types of engagement, say these engagements stem from incidences with the student, could be positive or negative or part of the regular school calendar. Is there any indication of what types of parent engagement on account of what incidences cause these stresses for leaders? That's really interesting. And no, the short answer to that is no. There's currently very few studies have researched the effects of parent engagement on school leaders. But what I would say is we need to be really clear on what parent engagement is. Parent engagement's not to be confused with parent volunteering or parent participation or parent partnerships or parent collaboration. So in its truest sense, parent engagement is a genuine and authentic collaboration that works between and both parents and school leaders, where people are working together with shared goals, a shared vision for learning for the children involved it's really important that we know and understand the difference. And the difference probably being is it's parent engagement that achieves all those magnificent results that research tells us is so effective. On the lowest scale, you have parents volunteering in the library or parents volunteering to run the school events or canteen and things like that. That produces far less positive outcomes for schools and students and communities. The visibility uh, still does influence and still has a positive effect, but not to the level of the genuine parent engagement that we're referring to with these incredible 30 years worth of research. Yeah, so that's, again, a good way to understand the level and the nature of parent engagement and how it should look like. If we move on, Carolyn, if you can maybe talk to us about in your journey, in your PhD broadly, and talk to us a little bit more in depth of how your research topic is being, how the master's has fed into the PhD as well, and maybe uh, talk to us a little bit more about your current project, PhD. Yeah, that's, I'd love to, because as I was concluding my research master's, seeking to understand a school leader's experience in a heightened culture of consumerism, ACU published their 2022 Annual Australian Principles Survey. 
it was just the timing was so magnificent because I've just finished and completed this incredible research project, although very small, but quite detailed because of the phenomenology involved. And ACU has published some of the most shocking results based on their annual survey. And that survey found that school leaders are currently working on average of 56 hours a week under the toughest conditions that they've seen in the last 12 years of conducting this research. The data also showed that nearly 50% of principals had triggered red flag alerts. Now, that's triggered or generated when school leaders are at risk of self-harm or occupational health problems or serious impact on their quality of life. Half of school leaders are at risk of severe mental health issues. Instances of physical violence against principals has also surged. I think it was 44%. The pressures of heavy workloads and so on and so on. For me, I've just completed my master's, giving me quite a confronting result and findings. ACU have now just published some of the most, I think some of the most confronting but very timely results that indicate pet school leaders are in a bad way. For me, in my PhD, I'm grappling with this concept that research is telling us that parent engagement equals improved student learning outcomes and that school leaders play a critical role in establishing and fostering this engagement. But on the other hand, Research is also telling us that school leaders are in a bad way. So that was really where my PhD came and has then continued its momentum because I'm seeking to understand a school leader's perspective, understanding a school leader, navigating parent engagement. But the key difference from my master's to now my PhD is seeking to understand across diverse educational contexts. So it's really extending the participant or the pool of participant selection. I'm seeking phenomenology once again to understand the lived experience of the school leader and how they make meaning of that experience. But so this time it's going bigger and hopefully the results will, although I don't have any findings to share, I can share with you that the research and literature that has formed part of my PhD has really now informed my research design, looking for a really quite a specific participant selection criteria to ensure I obtain that diversity in the participants and also utilising phenomenology once again, hermeneutic phenomenology specifically, understanding the lived experience. But as I mentioned at the start, I have a shared lived experience of what it is to be a school leader engaging parents. So within my PhD, I'm leaning on the works of Hans-George Gadamer and he positions the researcher. He doesn't try to bracket. He doesn't try to remove oneself from the research. He believes that um, there is a part to play for the researcher and he refers to this beautiful notion of a fusion of horizons. And I love that saying because my horizon is as far as I can see or understand. So as the researcher going in to interview the participants, both I and the participant, we have our own horizon, our conceptual understanding. And through that process of dialogue, hopefully we will see a shift in that we will extend our knowledge and understanding of the phenomena being explored, which is that of navigating parent engagement policies and initiatives in our schools. That's really interesting. Well, it's a different way of approaching the, in terms of the design or the methodology, 
we'll talk a little bit more about that but maybe if you can talk to us specifically you mentioned you're looking at in your phd in diverse educational settings yet again only include public or private schools or is it like higher education spaces as well my masters was quite small my phd i guess the goal is to extend the participation pool but also i want to deepen my own understanding so i want to take it even further participants are going to be quite strategically selected to maximize the variation in school types location size and demographics a four criterion for participants recruitment because i want to have coming back to the school leader i want to have experienced school leaders i want to have new school leaders i want to have school leaders who are possibly about to retire because i want to understand how that the diversity just within the role could influence or shed light on how they navigate parent school engagement similarly the school type i'd like a variety of independent schools of state schools of faith based schools and private schools because i want to know and understand the nuances that school types bring or could possibly influence the engagement factors as well the location so i'm seeking across all of queensland i'm looking for diverse participants in a range of locations because i'm going to assume that if you're working in a very rural community how you navigate parent engagement in that setting will be very different for someone in the global metropole of brisbane similarly the school size so how a school leader might navigate parent engagement in a small school may be quite different to how they navigate parent engagement in a school of 700 plus students and also the last one was demographics i want to make sure that i know and understand how socioeconomic demographics how societal inequities could perhaps influence or play a part in the parent engagement practices and initiatives as detailed by the school leaders that's really interesting i've good that you have criteria to locate and help with your sampling and selection of research participants the final question on that off the back of that was you mentioned some assumptions probably going into the study at this stage are there any other assumptions that you have not formed solidly but maybe that's percolating in your mind at the moment yeah i've had to be really careful with my assumptions but because i have a shared lived experience I do have some assumptions but those assumptions are based on my experience and my experience was quite unique in that it was also positioned in a culture of heightened consumerism so the masters study I connected with quite strongly and how that evolved and played out made sense for me I know and understand that space So I actually am quite clueless then when it comes to other spaces but one assumption from that masters suggests to me unintended consequences of parent engagement pressures on school leaders and I say my assumption is that parents are not intentionally influencing or impacting or behaving in particular ways so that's why I wanted to make this study really clear I'm not seeking to understand the parents but I am assuming in most cases that there are unintended consequences to the parent engagement pressures and I want to be really clear that I am seeking to understand it through the lens of and through the perspective of the school leaders who are experiencing it firsthand. Yeah, I think that's really interesting for me stands out is it looks like an outsider's perspective is that the engagement the parent 
engagement with the, the school leaders, there are probably a couple of parts where the parents are engaged in a normal behavior where they there's a lot of violence and things of that nature. But on a very generic level where they may be engaging in a manner that they might be engaging with any of a Telstra or a Qantas manner where they're dealing with a, an issue or a situation engaging in a, from a customer point of view. Not realizing the switch in a school setting where it's slightly different, where the duty of care and you have to be a good state actor rather than using the school leadership or the school as a potential enemy or something that is working against you. There could be a misunderstanding of roles in some sense as well. Well, no, I love that you said that because I think what you've just described is the influence of the neoliberal agenda creating this consumer, parents as consumers type of engagement. And parents, perhaps, are seeing education as a business or as a product or as an outcome, whereas school leaders are not. So I think it's how we are influenced by society. And I think that came out quite strongly in my master's research, but it was quite, as I mentioned before, it was quite specific and unique in the heightened or quite extreme wealth area that it was in. I guess the flip side of that is you have those assumptions and those beliefs about what education means for you and how perhaps we are influenced by consumerism. And I realize that's an evolving concept, but how that's playing out in a rapidly changing educational landscape is quite striking. And look, some might refer to even the way Australia publishes their NAPLAN results on the My Schools website as a way for parents to shop around (laughs) to use that data as sources of information to make decisions for like their educational transactions and choices. This notion of schools as a transaction, which makes sense based on what you just described, parents then on the phone treating school leaders or people involved in the education of their children as they would any other product or service that they are receiving in society. There's been a significant shift in the last, I want to say 10 years minimum, in regards to how that has influenced education and therefore the attitudes and beliefs that people have about education then influence those interactions. That's really interesting you say. The other question I had was on the flip side. In terms of the school leaders themselves, what is your take, if you can break it down from your own experience, how do school leaders emerge? Where does one go to learn to become a school leader? How is that in the marketplace or in the school setting at this moment? That is such a great question because I've been recently reading some research around the serious concerns in regarding declining rate of principals and school leaders and the lack of suitably qualified candidates to replace them after retirement. I believe the uh, the ACU data that I mentioned before, their word was tripled. The number of school leaders considering early retirement or resignation has tripled in the last 12 months alone. So we've got ourselves an issue here. And then one of the issues that sits alongside that is how, when and where are school leaders formed or created? Because in the past... It was a natural progression from a classroom teacher into a leadership position. No longer is that viable, that leadership model or succession plan. Part of the goals or the aim of this study is for us to illuminate the lived experience of school leaders 
but perhaps to then inform policy or leadership development practices that can better support school leaders in fostering parent school engagement. Where are the conversations that are being had? Because we go to university and we learn how to teach. We learn how to address students' behaviour in the classroom. As an experienced school leader, at no point in time did I engage in any learning that saw me sitting down with parents facilitating challenging conversations about their child's behaviour and the consequences for those choices. So there is some tension in the current lived experience of school leaders and the issue we have regards to the concern of the lack of school leaders that we have and uh, the increase in number wanting to retire and resign. But also we have an issue in regards to how do we enhance and support aspiring and emerging school leaders so that they can engage with parents uh, within this rapidly changing environment. Yeah, those are some really interesting points. There's a lot of delving in your study that you will have will be doing going forward. That's a really great point, Carolyn. I guess if we move along in our discussion today, what are some of the broad challenges that you face in this early stage of your PhD in terms of the methodology, preparing for your confirmation and doing further research? I am so fortunate because I completed the 12 months Masters of Research degree at Griffith University. As I mentioned earlier, it gave me an understanding of what was then going to be required in my PhD. And I similarly, I kept my same supervisory team from my master's now into my PhD. So it has actually been a really seamless transition. And so I'm very, very fortunate. So there's no striking challenges, but I have to be really honest with you in the back of my mind. <laughs> I do have a little seed of doubt because I attempted to type up a manuscript to have my master's research published and I wasn't successful. And I realized that that is very, very common and that every academic, no matter how experienced we are, we still experience not knockbacks from different publications. But because I'm a beginning researcher and this is a new space for me, <laughs> learning how to write in different ways. It's just planted that seed of doubt in my mind. And in Australia, it is part of our higher degree by research. We have to publish as part of that. So it's not an issue for me now, but I'd be lying if I said it isn't in the back of my mind as something that I know I will need to consciously work on. So what I've done to try to address that is every fortnight I've been attending a writing group hosted by the Griffith Institute of Educational Research. And it's a very collaborative space. It's an opportunity to share each other's manuscripts or work in progress, but also then edit and give feedback. Because sometimes when you're so consumed with looking at your own writing, you lose sight of what else it could look like. But I also really love learning and listening and reading other people's research. That has been a wonderful opportunity for me to collaborate with others, but also to learn and understand all the different ways, different publications and different styles of academic writing. But that's probably the one challenge that's just hanging in the back of my mind. Yeah, I know that's a fair challenge and I guess it's important for everyone to learn. That's a new skill that everyone in a PhD level would get used to. Could I ask you also in the PhD program, is the program the way you will be assessed? Is it by publication or by manuscript? Oh, that's a great question. So I have my upcoming confirmation of candidature 
and my assessment will be based on my thesis submission. So that will be an examination by my thesis. However, it is a, a compulsory element of my milestones leading up to that have a publication. Well, wow, that's really interesting. There's the added pressure, but the added notion of being able to publish, which I'm sure you will. And there, I can see myself. I haven't finished my PhD, but I can see there's a lot of materials and different angles you can take to get a publication. And I'm sure your supervisory team will help you as well. Yeah. And look, I was listening to a presenter on Wednesday talk about how in other countries, that's not necessarily part of their program. It's not a compulsory expectation. It's not mandated. And she was suggesting how lucky we are here that it is. And I was just sort of sitting with that and grappling with that thinking, oh, but is it? But her argument was in overseas, and she was talking specifically in Ireland, that students are completing their PhD or their doctorate and don't have, nor have they developed the academic skills of writing for certain publications. And so they're graduating without that. I do hear her. She did convince me that we're actually quite lucky that by the time we graduate, we have successfully had a journal article published. As you said, it's that's a gift. That's a skill. But I also do know that no matter what stage you are in your career, and it's probably a timely reminder for all of us, rejection still happens and I suspect it still hurts. Yes, that's a very no truer statement has been made. I guess if we move to the latter half of our discussion, Carolyn, this question is very early in terms of your candidate, but looking forward in maybe in two or three years' time when you have completed your PhD or looking at your own work experience, what do you believe could be some of the practical applications of some of the, not only the findings, but maybe the work you're actually doing in this space right now? I love working with emerging and aspiring leaders. Having been a senior school leader for 12 years, and now I'm lecturing and tutoring the space of Masters of Education and in sometimes in leadership also, I think in two or three years, based on the findings, I would love to use this research to know and understand the support I can put in place to prevent school leaders from being negatively impacted by, let's say, stakeholder engagement. So I've gone a little bit broader there because at no point in time in my career, as I mentioned, has that been a skill that I have received learning or support in. Build on the findings of this to understand their lived experience better, to be able to design workshops learning support programs, work with school leaders in order to upskill or build capacity to prevent them from experiencing the severe burnout, distress, the pressure and the crying and the sleeplessness. Because school leaders are incredible. And research shows us that effective school leadership has significant improvements on students learning education and their outcomes. It is a disservice if we are not understanding our school leaders, if we're not seeking to understand their lived experience and then using that information to better support and develop them in this very challenging career. Yeah, that is very, very true. The more you elaborate around the topic, I can see courses being designed and workshops, as you say, to support the personal development of these emerging leaders within schools. And I think that's Mm. something that will definitely be useful for the future leaders going forward. I guess my final question for today, Carolyn, is under all of these challenges, not challenges, but these spaces that you spend your time in, you know, being a parent, working, studying, how do you spend your spare time, if any? Oh, what spare time? No, I spend a great deal of time driving my children around to various activities. 
in my spare time, I love reading. I guess for me, it's my form of escapism. So some people love binging Netflix. I love escaping with a fantastic fiction. But I still love any opportunity to engage in the creative and performing arts. So we try to attend Queensland and Brisbane theatre productions as much as possible. And we're very lucky to be able to do that. I do have very, very limited spare time, but it's generally with my family, in my home, reading and enjoying their wonderful company. Yeah, that's a really good way to spend your spare time. Carolyn, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us and sharing our insights in your journey so far. And I'd like to wish you all the best on your upcoming candidature confirmation as well as your future research. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Halftime Scholars. Let us know what you think of the show and leave us a rating on Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. We'll see you next month on our next episode. 